0: School starts in a few weeks. I can't believe Etta is 12 years old and going into the 7th grade. My mother would have been 66 this year. I feel oddly lost between them. Not old yet, not young anymore. I thought motherhood was a job with security, but it's not. It's the least permanent job in the world, the only job in which your skills become obsolete overnight. And it was that way from the beginning. When I finally got a handle on breastfeeding, it was time for solid food. I worry that Edda wasn't turning over in the crib on her own, but soon she was crawling, and then before I knew it, walking. When she went to school, I thought she'd need me more, but all of a sudden she had a life apart from me and was just fine. And now, after we've established a routine as a family, in which Etta has responsibilities, she's developed a newfound independence and her own opinions. This is, of course, the point of all of it, preparing your children to leave you, yet I'm so afraid to let go. I don't know how I'll handle it when she's 18 and leaves for college. How did my mother do it? I wish she were here to lead me through these changes. Dad! Etta waves to Jack, who waves back to her from a platform at the side of the stage. He finishes helping the spot operator set the light levels, then climbs down the ladder to join us. My husband is still agile. His strong arms hook down the ladder rhythmically. His jeans are faded to dusty blue, and his white T-shirt frames his gray hair beautifully. Sometimes when I see him in the distance, I forget he's mine and think, what a fine-looking man. He still makes my heart race. Quite a feat after all these years. Otto Olinger approaches, wiping his face with a bandana. We barely got that stage up in time, ain't that right, Worley? Otto turns to his son, whose white hair makes him look around the same age as his father. It was rough, Worley agrees, cause you ain't got your minds on your work, too busy ogling the girls. Ivaluho tells them We did us some lookin Worley smiles. Jack gives me a quick kiss and takes out his hand. You want to watch from up there? He asks her, yeah. We got a couple of seats down front for you. I turn to Ivalu. Do you want to stay? What do you want to do? I'd rather wander around. Let's wander then. Ivalu turns to go up the ramp. Okay, then. We'll catch up with you later. Jack Mack takes Etta to the ladder and helps her to the top. She kneels on the platform as her father explains something about the equipment. She listens and nods. I can't believe she's my kid and not afraid of heights. In fact, she's fearless about everything, picking up stray animals, speaking in public, boys. Etta cares about how things work. In that way, she is just like her father. She is all McChesney, and that's not always easy for me to accept. What are we going to do, Ivalu asks. We're going to see Sister Claire. Who the hell is that, a Catholic? No, she's a fortune teller. No voodoo for me, girlfriend. Come on, after she makes you drink a cocktail of Eye of Newt and puts a spell on you, it's all uphill. Sister Claire has a small dark green tent by the edge of the grounds. Two folding chairs are set up outside the flap. I'm surprised there isn't a line of people waiting. Sister Claire is well known in these parts. She's from the mountains of North Carolina near Greensboro. A pharmaceutical salesman out of Raleigh who traveled through Big Stone encouraged me to see Sister if she was ever in the area. He told me that she was the genuine article, a true mystic. I'm surprised when a small, gentle woman of 60, with a heart-shaped face and skin the color of strong tea, emerges from the tent to greet us. Are you here to see me? She asks. I'm Sister Claire. Ivalu turns away and grabs my arm to return to the hub of the fair where no one knows the future, not even the judges of the Miss Lonesome Pine contest. Yes, ma'am, we are. Ivalu shoots me a look, so I correct myself. I am, I say earnestly, not knowing exactly how to address a psychic. Welcome. I think most of the people are at the beauty pageant, I tell Sister Claire, apologizing for her lack of clientele. She then turns to Ivalu and looks her straight in the eye. I understand if the idea of a reading makes you uncomfortable. I don't like to have my cards read. Really? Ivalu squeaks. Really? It's a commitment to believe. It takes blind faith. Sometimes not even I have that. Well, it's not that I'm scared, and I certainly believe in the comings and goings of the spirit world. It's just that I, well, I live my life a certain way, and I don't want to know where it's all going. I understand. Wait here then, okay? I give Ivalu a wink and follow Sister Claire inside. The tent is sparsely furnished with two folding chairs and a small red lacquer table between them. Sister Claire motions for me to sit, then pours each of us a glass of water. She sits down at the table and rests one hand on a deck of large tarot cards. I hear you're Native American, I say as she shuffles the cards. Cherokee, descendant of the great Chief Doublehead. course, all of us that's Cherokee claim that. She stops shuffling the cards and asks me to pick one. How can I help you? I was prepared with an answer. I have lots of questions about the future, but suddenly I can't speak. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Let's look at you. Sister Claire shuffles again and places 12 cards on the table, creating a sunburst pattern. What is your name? Ave Maria. That's unusual, especially in these parts. That's the name of the Blessed Mother. You can tell a lot by a person's name. What does my name tell you? I ask her. Well, you're named after a strong woman, some would say a goddess. You've been surrounded by strong women since the day you were born. You're very lucky. You are loved and protected, and I see many women around you almost making a fence. Your mother passed? Yes. She did and she didn't. She's with you always. Sister Claire sits back in the chair and closes her eyes. She's wearing purple. My mother? Yes. I buried my mother in a purple suit. She made it herself out of crepe silk she bought on one of her husband Fred Mulligan's buying trips to New York... She told me that for the longest time she didn't want to make anything out of the fabric because it was so beautiful she couldn't bear to cut it into pieces. Fred Mulligan was not your father. No, ma'am. And it caused you great pain when you learned the truth. It did. But in a way, it was also the great blessing of my life. I found my real father in Italy and my whole family. Sister Claire leans back again and closes her eyes. Your mother is showing me a house with many rooms. She is hanging curtains in the windows. She used to make curtains. There's a boy in the room. He just walked in. He has brown eyes and curly brown hair. Who is he? My son. He passed, she asked me quietly. Yes, ma'am. Very young? He was four years old. Sister Claire laughs. He's funny. He's happy with her. She's looking out for him. She opens her eyes and looks at me. Sister Claire goes on to tell me lots of things about my job, about Jack, about Etta. She sees us traveling together, and she sees Etta taking a new path, which validates my feelings that my daughter is going where she wants to go, with or without my blessing. Sister, how does the afterlife work? What do you mean? She looks at me. Will my son always be four years old and my mother the age she was when she died, and when I die, what do you think? I thought that they were in a holding pattern waiting for Judgment Day. Sister Claire laughs again, though I wasn't trying to be funny. That's a possibility, and it all depends. Your mother and son wanted you to know that they're okay, so they came to me in a way you would recognize them. This doesn't happen every time. She shuffles the cards and this time lines them up in a single row. She asks me to pick another from the deck. Now for your future. I take a deep breath. I'm ready. You've set many goals for yourself in your lifetime, and you've met most of them. But what I see here is that you have to begin anew. You have to decide where your life is going. You must re-dream. Re-dream? you have to reinvent your life you have to think about what you want to accomplish in the second half of your life do you understand I nod that I do but I don't really or maybe I'm not ready to think about the rest of my life my present path is so clear I wanna raise my daughter nurture my husband and keep working I don't think much beyond that though I know it's dangerous not to sister Claire I never think about what I want anymore or about what the future holds. I barely have time to get everything done in the present. How do I re-dream? Ave Maria, there are two times a day when the soul is open to new ideas. The first is when you rise in the stillness of morning. The second is at night when you're in that hazy place between being awake and going to sleep. At those times, ask your inner voice to guide you. Your intuition will lead you to the answers you're looking for. My mother used to say that all the answers were inside of me. She was right. The problem is we don't trust our inner voice, but that voice will guide us in the right direction every time. It really is the key to happiness. Just listen. Sister Claire slides the cards into a single deck once more. Thank you, Sister Claire. I pay her and quickly review all she said to me. There's so much to think about. The smell of Ivalu's cigarette brings me back to the present. She's sitting on one of the folding chairs outside the tent, puffing away. All set, I tell her. Well, honey oh, since we're here, maybe I'll get a reading, too. Ivalu turns to Sister Claire and points with her pinky finger but I'm warning you sis don't tell me when I'm gonna die even if you know okay i mend that you can tell me when I'm gonna die if it's at 101 with all my faculties intact and a young man up in the bed next to me who thinks I'm better than pepper jelly sister Claire laughs you got a deal they go inside the tent and I can hear the quiet muttering between them I sit down stretching my legs and leaning back in the chair From this angle, I can see the spotlight at the beauty pageant make a tunnel of silver light against the Black Mountain. It is a smoky beam, barely visible as it competes with the Ferris wheel, spinning streaks of pink glitter. The mountains funnel the sound of the applause and the wolf whistles up into the night sky. The way the sound carries in these hills, the pageant could be a thousand miles from here. How easy it is to get lost in the noise of this world, to find yourself leading a life of acceptance and resignation. When will I find the time to question my life again? Is there anything new ahead of me, or is this it? Being a wife, a mother, a pharmacist? What does Sister Claire mean when she tells me that I have to invent myself all over again? To be what? And how? After what seems like a much longer time than my reading took, Ivalu emerges from the tent fishing in her purse for another cigarette. So, I look up at her. Oh, honey, I've never heard such good news. Sister Claire was chock full of all kinds of information. I just hope I can remember it all so I can write it down. She said that I'm an eagle. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. I'm regal and self-possessed and all of that. But, of course, tell me something I didn't already know for 15 bucks. How about you? Mama and Joe came to me. What did they say? Ivalu, they didn't say anything. But it's okay. They showed up. That's all I needed. Ivalu puts her arm around me as we head back into the lights and the noise, but I don't see them or hear it. My mind is in that house with many rooms. After helping Etta scrub the last of the blue veil of cotton candy off her face, I tuck her into bed. She wants to read one more chapter of Harriet the Spy, but she's exhausted, so I convince her to go off to sleep. Etta is fascinated with the story of Harriet, an 11-year-old girl who doesn't play with dolls, but has a notebook and goes around the elegant Upper East Side of Manhattan spying on her neighbors and recording their activities. Etta checks it out of the library so often, I wonder if anyone else in her class has read it. Mama, someday can we go to New York City? Sure. Sure. I look down at my daughter, who is still a girl, but is starting to look like a young woman in subtle ways. As I tuck the blanket around her, I know that soon this ritual will end, and that fills me with sadness. I think I'd like it, she says. The big city? All that noise and confusion? I kiss Etta and walk to the door. It would be fun and different, Ma, she says, rolling onto her side. I turn the light out. I'm already in the hallway when I hear her voice softly call out to me. Mama?